Welcome. You have entered the realm of 1111 Talk Radio. Your host is Simron. It's time to discover your own language with the universe. Empower yourself. Broaden your mind. Open your heart and discover who you are. Now, here's your host, Simron. Good wishes and great love to you today. I am delighted to be with you this week and very delighted to dive into what I know will be a rich and enlightening conversation with my guest today, Mark Matusik. Uh, There are often times where I am struck by a book and I get to read so many wonderful books that when I do come across one, and particularly one that reads like a novel but is a true story, where there's so much spiritual insight and power within it, I know there's going to be an amazing conversation. And what I gained from reading this book was that we are about to embark on a conversation that is real and vulnerable and intimate, and that those who truly speak about consciousness or inner work, as Mark Matusik does with many of his Writing to Awaken courses and through his book, Sex, Death, Enlightenment, you will discover that those individuals have walked the very journey and really taken the time to know themselves, to understand the depths of their own psyche, their mind, their emotions, and how it is that they can see the world. And it is through those people that you are able to really find resonance if you have done the same. And so I feel like I have met a brother, a soulmate, uh, someone who has really walked through so very much and taking the time to really look at it, but also express it in the most gifted of ways. Mark says in Sex, Death, Enlightenment, everyone is uh, sex, death, and enlightenment. These issues I saw were the points on the triangle forming my life, the interlocking progressive steps on my soul's journey. Sex had led me to the prospect of death, and death would lead me toward enlightenment. If I took its lessons to heart and let them burn me into awakening, if I could only crack this puzzle and understand the relationship between sex, death, and enlightenment, I sensed that an enormous healing would take place, freeing me of a grief that had begun when I was a boy, fracturing my vision of the world, making me feel like an orphan in the universe, always outside, always hungry, erasing me from the memory of God." My guest today is Mark Matusik, and he is an award-winning author of seven books, including the memoirs, The Boy He Left Behind, and When You're Falling, Dive. His writing has appeared in many publications, including The New Yorker, Oh, The Oprah Magazine, Details, Tricycle, Harper's Bazaar, The Village Voice, and many more. He is born in Los Angeles and a graduate of the University of California, Berkeley, won a fellowship to study at Worcester College, Oxford, and earned an MA in English Literature. After leaving publishing in 1985, he spent a decade as a freelance writer and Dharma bum in Europe, India, and the United States. And he has written a beautiful book called Sex, Death, Enlightenment, which we'll discuss today. You can find out more about him at markmatusik.com and also the Seekers Forum. Com. Welcome, Mark, to 1111 Talk Radio. It's a delight to, to have you here. Thank you, Samrin. It's really good to talk to you. I want to dive right into the area of waking up and starving like a hungry ghost. Because when you had the experiences you had as a child, which we'll go into a little bit, part of what that brought you to in your uh, adult life in your 20s, 
and I guess early 30s, uh, was that feeling of starving like a hungry ghost and having that sense of everything around you, but yet still longing and wanting. And we live in a world that is filled with so many people that are in that place. I think that COVID and the time that we've had away has helped many people to dive a little more deeply into themselves and question things. But sometimes the hunger is so intense that we don't know where and how to fill it. So will you talk a little bit about that part of your life and and how that has really birthed not only your own seeking, but the ways in which you work with other individuals to discover their own answers? Well, sure. Uh, the book starts when I was working in New York in the magazine business. I was in my late 20s. I was surrounded by everything that was supposed to make me happy. Uh, I was in the publishing world. I was climbing the ladder. I had come to New York to be a writer. So I really felt like I was, I was you know, where I was supposed to be. But I had this inner feeling of emptiness and sadness and grief that would not go away. And when the surface pleasures, when the momentary distractions would pass, I would feel this very deep sadness. It felt to me like a a fist that was sort of clutched in my gut. Uh, And I didn't yet know about the Buddhist uh, idea of the hungry ghost, but it suited what was going on for me perfectly. You know, the sense that all of this wealth, all of this abundance around and not being able to take it in. And the reason that I couldn't take it in is that I was trying to feed myself food that my soul didn't want. I was I was in this fast track life and truly I, I was more interested in philosophy and psychology and, and the, the mystic path and, and 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 who I was, finding out who I was uh, rather than, you know, dealing with pop culture and, and the sort of superficial goals that I had set for myself. So the higher I climbed and the more accomplished I seemed on the outside, the more imposterish and fraudulent I felt on the inside. And that's a very common uh, situation for a lot of people, the imposter syndrome, this feeling like we're playing by someone else's rules. We are wearing a mask that we can't remove. Uh, and it leads to that feeling of deep sadness and aloneness. And as you mentioned, for me, that came naturally because I had grown up in a in a house where there was a lot of abandonment and violence and difficulty. So I grew up feeling very alone and very hungry for any kind of love or connection. Uh, and that was the the dilemma that I, I, I found myself in. Well, I'm sure you found this in your own life, Simon. You don't get to skip steps, you know. So there was this big emptiness in me that I had never addressed, that I needed to address, and life gave me the opportunity to do so. I, I agree with you, and I think that that emptiness is something that actually lies within all of us. It's part of this human experience in a way to reconnect with our soul. And in the book, you you talk about how this hunger is latent in everyone and very often people wait until their deathbed to actually face it which is time when it's too late but it is that hunger that actually creates the deadness before death and you came up in a family that was uh, I guess atheist Jewish agnostic kind of a blend of those three three things you really had to hit kind of a bottom point or a real place of deadness for you to even turn a little bit to being open enough 
to spirituality or some of the thoughts that started coming to you through Alexander? It's true. I I knew that I was hungry for something. I knew that I was feeling a deep grief and a deep emptiness, but I didn't know what to call it. I didn't have the language. And then I was lucky enough to meet someone who took one look at me and said, you're having a spiritual crisis. And I didn't know what he was talking about. I honestly had never thought in those terms before. Uh, But the minute he said it, it resonated uh, with me. I knew that it wasn't just psychological. There was psychological work I needed to do, but it was deeper. It it was a soul sickness that I was feeling, a a deep ennui that that I was feeling. And what I came to learn as I read and, and went to teachers and started to practice was that that separation that we feel from our divine nature, from our essential spiritual nature, is what causes that chasm to open up between us and the unity and and, and God, whatever you want to call it. And it's that separation that that creates the suffering, that creates the the false sense of self. And and that, that Uh, aloneness and alienation that so many people feel today and it is part of the human condition you know teachers tell us that uh, we are born uh, we go through a kind of a disillusionment when we're born Uh, and the process of our life the purpose of our life is to work our way back uh, through the illusions to the truth of who we are. That's the cosmic game, the, the, the lahar, they call it. That's the, that's the whim of the spirit to take physical form in order to find its way back to its uh, spiritual nature. Uh, now, that's, that all sounds very metaphysical and, and vague, but that was my deep experience, was that as I came closer to universal truth, Uh, the dharma, perennial philosophy, whatever you want to call it, the more connected I felt to life. Uh, Before that, I felt like an an object out there in a world full of objects. I I didn't feel a true deep connection. Uh, And thank God, at the time when I really, really needed it, a teacher entered my life uh, who gave me the language to begin my own journey. To, to bring people to kind of a place of understanding as to how you went through this journey, which is, it's, it's uh, I guess for many people to have an understanding of it, it's kind of reminiscent of the eat, pray, love, except it's deeper. There's a, there's a lot of uh, really human hard stuff in your story, and it starts from childhood, and you, you reference the abandonment, you reference the violence, some of the things that had been taken on in your childhood, but you, you were almost born into a circumstance where you really saw the way that this world can be so painful and, and really difficult. And even the outlook of your siblings and your mom, it was kind of this outlook of this is the way the world is. It's painful and hard. And I think that there are people that come up against many issues in their own life or their own stories that they've had where their suffering feels so heavy and and so burdensome and there's an inability to overcome that. Yet it was crucial and critical to the rest of your journey. It was part of the thread. So can you talk about the distinction between that dark negativity that existed there as a burden or as a hardship, but yet how it also was the catapult 
that allowed for later light and enlightenment and beauty to also arise. Yes, that's such an important point. I had the great good fortune as a seeker and as a writer uh, to grow up in a house where there was brutality, uh, there was suicide, there were many things that were just impossible for a kid to uh, understand or, or, or to, to digest. Uh, and so I never really had an innocence to lose. You know, people talk about that moment of losing their innocence. I don't remember a time when I ever had that innocence. And many people know what that feels like when you, there's no protection as a child against the cruelties of the world at an age when you don't really have the ability to integrate that, that pain or, or that experience. So, but for me, as you said, it became the, it gave me my work. Uh, it led me uh, on, my, on a spiritual journey. It enables me now to work with people who are in pain and who are suffering from this kind of separation, soul sickness, inauthenticity with a first person experience. So I, I do not see it as a, uh, as, a, um, as a handicap or a loss. Uh, so much as a paradoxical gift uh, that has helped me to grow as a human being. And I've seen this with so many people who, who have gone through the worst, the worst things imaginable, far worse than I. I wrote a book you mentioned called When You're Falling Dive, and I spoke to a lot of people who had gone through various darknesses from, from disease to losing their home to you know, concentration camps. Uh, and they all shared this quality of proportionate wisdom to how much pain and adversity they had gone through. Uh, and I couldn't understand it. It really, it's a, it truly is a paradox that the people, some of the people who I have met who've gone through the worst things are the happiest individuals you've ever met. Uh, and on the other hand, I know other folks who have led a, a what you would call a, um, a charmed life who are actually quite unhappy within that and, and because they haven't really tested themselves they have they're still within the suffering in this illusion of, of security when that gets taken away it puts you into a zone where so much evolution is possible and so much so much insight and learning are possible so I'm actually very grateful that I had that I wouldn't wish it on anyone but but it has it has served me well and it is the journey in between those two points as Flamuxing as it is, and as confusing as it can be, and as seeking as it sends us upon, uh, that ends up being the rich fabric that makes all of life have meaning. What would you say to people about the in-between part of those two points, how mm. to move through that journey, or what you learned in looking back in moving through all the steps and spirals and circles and leaps and falls of your journey? Mm. That's a great question. First, I would I would say that life is the in between journey. It's not like we ever get there. So and then and then suddenly you know our, our our ills have been transformed into into gifts. No, it's an ongoing process. Um, what I've learned is that it's in those moments when it feels most hopeless, when you feel most trapped, most stuck, uh, that often we are making the greatest progress. Because that is when where our faith is tested. Um, that's when our tolerance and kindness toward ourself is tested. Uh, all of the spiritual qualities we need for awakening are come up uh, in, in a big way 
precisely in those times when we feel the the the, the least the least wise, the least spiritual, and the least hopeful. Uh, so yet, you know, there is another paradox. So what I've learned is that it's in those moments to go inward rather than outward by blaming the world or, or getting angry or feeling feeling you know somehow you know disadvantaged go inward in those moments and say what am i afraid of you know who what do i believe that i've lost you know who do i think that i am uh, and that, that's those are the times for this kind of existential uh, inquiry that we can have big epiphanies when we realize that the thing that we're waiting for uh, is never going to come and the thing, uh, because it's already here, you know, the thing that we're waiting for, that sense of wholeness, that sense of goodness, connection to God, it's, it's here. Uh, once we learn to quiet our mind, to settle into our, our, our presence, to be where we are, you know, we get that the connection we're looking for uh, is, is uh, indissoluble and it's always been with us. And that's what moments like that give us is is the ability to see that uh, that what we're looking for uh, is already here. You learn the world from your mother's face. You learn about God from the way she moves, how she loves or doesn't love, how she smells, what she says in words and silence. You learn about creation from the way your parents love each other, the story they tell you about how they came together to make you. These details create your idea of who you are and where you came from, the color, the texture, depth, or shallowness of your universe, the particular tangle of roots that brought you out of the ground. This is from Mark Matusik's book, Sex, Death, Enlightenment. Mark is an award-winning author of two memoirs, Sex, Death, Enlightenment, a true story, an international bestseller, and The Boy He Left Behind, A Man's Search for His Lost Father, as well as When You're Falling, Dive. You can find out more about him at markmatusik.com and definitely check out theseekersforum.com to be part of his growing community. We'll be right back with more of Mark Matusik and Sex, Death, Enlightenment. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today. www.1111mag.com 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. Do you want more, more joy, more abundance, more power and presence? How would it feel to have more loving relationships, more empowered community, greater fulfillment and life purpose? The 1111 Mastermind Community inspires, empowers, guides and supports transformation. 
Shift your mind, expand your heart, deepen insights, let go and chart a new course, dream a new dream. The 1111 Mastermind Community is an online portal for personal transformation and soulful expansion. Go to courses.1111mag.com. That's courses.1111mag.com. Change begins with you. Let it be simple, convenient, and transformative. The time is now. Step through the 1111 Gateway. Courses.1111mag.com. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at imsimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. Before I get back to Mark Moon, music, and sex, death, enlightenment, I want to find out if something is interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals. I have a special offer from BetterHelp.com for 1111 Talk Radio listeners. You can get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com forward slash 11. Spell out the word 11. BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. They are an organization that will allow you dating in under 48 hours. They're not a crisis line and it is not self-help. This is actually professional counseling done securely online, but it can support your happiness and help you achieve the goals that you're wanting to reach. There's a broad range of expertise available, which might not be locally available in many of your areas. And the service is for clients worldwide. Again, that's 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com, H-E-L-P, and forward slash 11 to get that 10% off. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. It's easy to change counselors. It's more affordable than traditional offering, and financial aid is available. So you can visit BetterHelp.com forward slash 11 and read all of the amazing testimonials that are posted daily. In addition, they are helping so many individuals achieve their goals and reach a greater sense of happiness that you can join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. So many people have been using BetterHelp that they are also recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Once again, that's betterhelp.com forward slash 11. Miserable as it would undoubtedly be to discover a lesion on my skin some morning, it would be much worse, twice as bad, it seemed to me, to face that catastrophe with no idea who I was or why I was put here, where I was headed, what, if anything, this life meant. Summing off this cliff like a sleepwalker who had never opened his eyes seemed like a fate worse than dying young. Thoughts seized me and wouldn't let go. I needed to know, or at least ask, if there was anything beyond our bodies. A soul, a spirit, a banger of the Big Bang. This is from the book Sex, Death, Enlightenment, written by Mark Matusik. I invite you to discover all of the things he does. He is also known for his Writing to Awaken series, where he helps individuals explore their own 
stories, their own lives, their own questions. You can be part of the Seekers Forum by going to theseekersforum.com or find out everything that Mark does by going to markmatusic.com. And that link is in the bio description of the guest on the show page. So feel free to go there. Mark, as you move through the story, you lived this fast-paced life uh, working for Andy Warhol in New York City. You'd reached this place of realizing that there had to be more. You meet Alexander, and he introduces you to concepts and ideas and things that kind of expand your mind. I often believe that we are led to the people, places, and things, what I call our conversations with the universe, because we have a deep soul longing. We have a deep desire from the beginning. Do you feel like from childhood or at any point you had some sense of a specific longing that really brought uh, and attracted these certain people into your life uh, that would then catapult you forward into your own journey? I think without a question that that, that is true. I, I was I was a fairly desperate character in that I was uh, I was quite unhappy. I was very vocal about what's it all about and and who am I and where am I going? Uh, from the time I was I, w- I was very young, uh, it wasn't always framed in a spiritual uh, in a spiritual way, but but those questions were always there, and I think that questions are what open the door to these conversations with the universe that you're you're talking about. So I, even before I met Alexander, I would attract people into my life who had something to teach, had something that I really needed to learn. I was always vigilant for that. And I think that's something that characterizes a seeker. Because we really need answers, because we don't want to suffer so much, uh, we are listening and we listen carefully. So I always had a very good sense of where I might find wisdom. uh, And I think that I invited it into my life. uh, And that has always been the case. I've been very, very fortunate to have spent uh, time with some fantastic uh, and and wise people, uh, and it's absolutely because of the uh, the volume of my need, you could say. And I'm sure that a lot of people hearing this, listening to this show, know what I'm talking about. It's that it's that hunger, it's that desire to know who we are, it's that feeling of being adrift. Uh, it, it's wanting things to feel more simple and true and whole and get out of the the fragmented simulated virtual world that 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 we that we live in we want to touch something primordial and real and true uh, and for me that was very very deep it was connected to psychological things that had happened in my in my life but i do think that we come in with a certain charge a spiritual charge you could say some people call that the soul and i had i had a i had a very intense charge from the time i was a little kid i'd been asking questions voraciously since i was a child and that has led me to you know to find a lot of things that i think would have eluded me if i'd been more uh, if i'd been quieter or i'd been less needy <laughs> Well, much of your life also, through reading the book, I could sense there was a lot of fear. There was a dread of, you know, what would happen the next day as a child or what was the next shoe to drop or the next painful event to happen. There was the fear constantly of, you know, do I have HIV? Am I going to be sick? Or 
there were all these fears. And I think that, you know, for most human beings, fear is the nemesis initially that really keeps us locked into those uh, places of conformity and living the mundane or the, the, the more average life where we don't really follow our dreams or we don't really dive into the places that would allow us our true happiness. Talk about the fear that you felt in moving through these experiences, but, but still taking the steps that you needed to take, even going to India or, you know, facing sex, facing death, facing all of these places that seem to be doorways that would lead to greater awareness and knowing. Well, I say in the book somewhere that terror is the door to enlightenment because that was my experience. I, I was so scared of, of getting sick and dying. I had people dying all around me. My best friend died in front of my eyes. And I was so terrified that I had the choice of of, of going in a room, locking the door, crawling, you know, curling up in a ball, or, or somehow moving toward that terror so that I could find some way of living with the fear uh, and with the prospect of, of my mortality, whether it happened in a year or it happened in, in 50 years. Uh, I realized that I needed to face this. And so what I found is that fuel, first of all, I found that, uh, first of all, panic has a shelf life. You know, you can only stay panicked for so long. And then you, you realize, well, you know, I, what am I going to do with the time that I have left? And that really, it was as practical as that. How, what am I going to do with the time that I'm here? Am I going to waste it with, you know, with, with shutting down and, and, and withdrawing? Or am I going to move forward? So I, I tried to use it as a, as a goad, uh, as a motivator. Uh, and, and the other thing is, the, it, it's the feeling when you don't, uh, there's nothing to lose. That, that's how I felt at that time in my life. I felt like I had absolutely nothing to lose because I expected to be dead uh, in, in a year or two. And so I really went for it. And, and I'm so grateful that I had that opportunity. And, and the, the strange thing is that I never got sick. So I, I had the, the, uh, the benefit of, of, a, of a mortal diagnosis, a life or death diagnosis, but I didn't actually get ill. So it drove me. And I also had the energy and the wherewithal to keep, keep going and keep searching. Uh, so, so it was a it was a, a strange position to be in when when um, it could happen at any time and nothing was happening. It's sort of it's the perfect in between place to practice, uh, whether it's meditation or prayer or, or self inquiry. It's a great place to practice because you can't re- retreat into a false sense of security, but nor are you on your way out imminently. So, so that, that, that in between place is very fruitful and rich for, for doing spiritual work. You said something really, really powerful, which I came to in my own experience. And that was, you have to get to the place where you've got nothing left to lose because Mm -hmm. there's a sense of freedom in that. There's almost a, a sense of allowing yourself to be free of that identity while you still carry the identity because you can't just let it go in that moment. But there is a sense of something kind of cracking and breaking apart in that moment. And you had gone uh, to, with Alexander, you were going to India. That is where you met Mother Mira. Um, And later you met uh, another 
St. Amachi. And what struck me about the story was in the beginning, as, as a child, you were surrounded by a group of women where there was all of that terror. But towards the ending of your story or midway to the end of your story, again, you were surrounded by women, but this time it was unconditional love. Did you ever think about that correlation of of that transformation of the mother or the woman that took place in your life as well? Oh, I thought about it all the time, Simran, because I was constantly projecting my mother image, my mother issues onto Mother Mira, who's a, who's a wonderful uh, spiritual teacher, uh, and Amachi, who, who's another great, great spiritual master. Uh, I, I, would be, I would project all of my childhood fears, my insecurities, my cravings, my, my anger sometimes at these women figures, these matriarchal figures. Uh, and it was perfect practice for me because I realized that until I burned away that part of me that was afraid to be a child, in other words, innocent, beginner's mind, open, receptive, all of the things we need on the spiritual path. Until I got through my fear of that, uh, I was always going to be stuck. I was never going to be able to surrender to a power larger than myself because I, I, I associated authority, powers larger than myself, with pain and violence and danger. So I had a very profound experience, one in particular with Mother Mira, where I had a a dream. Uh, it was a waking dream. It was kind of a vision where I was, I won't go into all of the details, but I was, I ended up on the floor, curled up, <laughs> numb on one side of my body, crying my eyes out. And, and I had this realization that in the midst of so much love and in the presence of so much love, because Mother Mira is a tremendously liberated being, um, I was suffering because I was afraid to be a child. I was afraid to to let down my guard. Uh, and it was a big opening for me. Uh, it's interesting in that waking vision, dream, experience, Mother Mira had come into my room. I saw it very clearly. She came into my room while I was sitting at my desk, and she put her forehead against mine. I, it's, it was so real, I can almost feel it now. And she said, remember that I love you. Uh, and that's before that happened. That's when that's when the the experience uh, started. And I did have that awareness of this is just an experience. This is just uh, this is just a, a kind of a nightmare memory. Uh, but behind that, there is love. And I think that's what gave me the the courage and the ability to go through it. Mm, that's powerful. In my own journey, what I finally discovered is that in looking for light. It is lovely what we see around us. It's lovely what many uh, books, spiritual teachers, um, positivity professes. But if we're looking for real light, it is in the darkness that oftentimes the light we look at is the artificial lighting. But if we want the true light, we must dive deeply into the darkness. And you discovered that yourself through many people telling you that, through the duality that you saw in India through even seeing the way that Mother Mira would take the illness, the sickness, the dis-ease from different people by cradling them in her own hands and showering with the love and light. Talk a little bit about your uh, dance with darkness and light. Well, I, I'm, I'm a great proponent of Carl Jung's idea that we do not become enlightened by imagining figures of light, 
but by making the darkness conscious. That there's no leapfrogging the shadow. There's no leapfrogging the darkness. That in fact, the darkness contains the riches uh, and a lot of the depth and the juice uh, of who we are. And we have to be willing to to go there. Uh, so for me, it's been a very intense uh, contrast because I grew up with so much darkness and there's a, there has been a lot of suffering and, and, and adversity in my life, as well as an exposure to so much light, so much wisdom, so many people who have given me hope and shown me that there's another way. Uh, and, and so that I've lived with that polarity uh, for many, many years. So for me, the darkness, the sacred darkness, the fruitful darkness is inseparable from the enlightenment journey. Uh, it, it's, it's like having, a, having yin without yang. You know, we absolutely have to have both to have wholeness uh, and a sense of, of integrity, uh, having integrated all parts of ourselves uh, by going into the dark and, and opening that door and allowing what's there to, you know, to see the light of day. And that's when things really start to change. Because everything is holy, unless you go beyond your belief that a world with God would be a world without suffering, a big Disneyland where everyone gets in for free, you'll never understand that suffering is here to be used as a fuel to awaken. Good and bad are human concepts. The Andromeda Nebula is neither good nor bad. God is neither good nor bad. These words create false divisions. Of course, we must do what we can to relieve suffering every chance we get. But at the same time, we need to accept that it will always exist and must. This is from Mark Matusik's book, Sex, Death, Enlightenment, a true story and international bestseller that you can pick up now. And while you do that, you might want to pick up his others, which are The Boy He Left Behind, A Man's Search for His Lost Father, as well as When You're Falling, Dive, Lessons in the Art of Living. He has many books that you can look up, and you can also be part of his community. Definitely check out the Seekers Forum. That's theseekersforum.com, and you can go to his website, markmatusic.com. We'll be back with more of Mark right after these messages. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today. www.1111mag.com 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. Do you want more, more joy, more abundance, more power and presence? How would it feel to have more loving relationships? 
more empowered community, greater fulfillment, and life purpose? The 1111 Mastermind Community inspires, empowers, guides, and supports transformation. Shift your mind, expand your heart, deepen insights, let go and chart a new course, dream a new dream. The 1111 Mastermind Community is an online portal for personal transformation and soulful expansion. Go to courses.1111mag.com. That's courses.1111mag.com. Change begins with you. Let it be simple, convenient, and transformative. The time is now. Step through the 1111 gateway. Courses.1111mag.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at IamSimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. Before we get back to Mark Matusik and his best international bestseller, Sex, Death, Enlightenment, I want to mention that my new book is available for pre-order, so definitely go to Amazon and pick yours up. You can click the banner at the top of the show page, and it will take you right to the link. It is called Living, the Seven Blessings of Human Experience, and part of a trilogy that I have written that will be released over the next year and a half. I'm really excited for you to dive into that. This journey will be difficult, make no mistake. The tests are grueling and you will undoubtedly be tempted to turn back many times. But remember, in order to answer the questions that are haunting you now, you must explore a dimension about which you know nothing. Try not to forget the essential point that on the other side of this confusion, which will keep you in its throes for years, is an existence you cannot begin to imagine, blessed by love and freedom from every fear. You will have to be strong in order to break through. But believe me, my darling, there is no other choice worth making. This is from Mark Matusik's book, Sex, Death, Enlightenment. It is a beautiful story of his life and how he has moved through various things that he had to overcome and face to reach a place of profound peace and understanding and awareness, not only in his own life, but in a way that he now works with so many other individuals to support them. Find out more about him at theseekersforum.com. You can be part of his community, and you can also go to markmatusik.com. We're in the last segment, Mark, and I'd love to talk a little bit about the three things you had to face, and I found it profound when you wrote that you, you had to uh, make the disease your practice. And it's it made me think, you know, there's that saying of be in the world, not of it. It made me almost change that to be in the body, but not of it. Talk about the disease, your practice, in order to face the fears that you had around something that you didn't know whether it was going to come or not. Yes, well, as I was saying earlier, it puts you in a in an in-between zone where mortality is staring you at the face. It's sitting on your shoulder, as uh, Don Juan said to Carlos Castaneda, uh, but it hasn't but it hasn't taken you away yet. And, and that was the strange thing about HIV in the early days. Nobody knew what it was or what 
when, uh, when, how, and how quickly it would kill you. All we knew was that people were dying. And so uh, living in that unknowing and in that mystery is really just uh, an extreme version of the human condition. If we're honest with ourselves about mortality, about impermanence, then, of course, we are dying every day. And and, and that is just a part of the, the natural cycle. Uh, for me, what, 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 what helped me a lot was that it was it was right in my face. I couldn't deny it. Uh, and we will deny it as long as we can. So working with it has just been a trial and error, uh, a trial and error process. Now, I was lucky enough that uh, that treatments came for this uh, before I ever got sick, so that was a great blessing for me. It wasn't for you know, thousands and thousands of people, uh, but even still, it was important. What I said to myself when the treatments arrived was, I didn't want to lose the insights that I had gained when I thought I was I was dying. I didn't want to just go back to an unconscious way of, of living or, or sort of chasing the, the golden carrots in the world and forgetting about my soul. Not that that was really a possibility at that point, but I was worried because the world can be very tempting and very seductive. And it's, and it's very tempting not to look at our own mortality. So I've made it an ongoing practice for me, uh, Ananda Moima, who is another great Indian teacher, said that we should live uh, in the world like a bird on a dry twig, you know, knowing that at any moment it could snap. But when it snaps, we don't fall to our death. We fly away. Uh, it's a different way of looking at mortality and spirit and being alive. So I, that is part of my daily practice, is, is looking at mortality and, and dealing with endings, uh, looking at the fears and the dreads that still come up, because biologically, the animal, the creature, uh, fears for its own extinction. So a lot of what human life is about is balancing the the fearful body with all of its memories and its fear of pain uh, with the higher awareness of something beyond the body, the, the, the witness awareness that isn't, isn't dying and that is perfectly calm and, and not threatened at any time. So, so the more we rest in that, the, the more we can contemplate the death of the body uh, as, a, as an enlightenment practice, as a practice of, of, of self-liberation. And that's, that's what I do in my own way. Well, I think that we, we have death is something that we oftentimes think is just this end-of-life experience, but we are going through death on a constant basis, whether it's death of beliefs or death of identities or death of all types of things. I found it really powerful that you decided to learn about death by going through the hospice training and being in that environment. What would you say are some of the greatest gifts that came out of, or greatest learnings that came out of that experience of being with those that were in that process of physical death? Oh, I learned so much. Starting with the humanity and the tenderness and, and vulnerability of people at whatever age they are. I was once sitting with a man who was dying of lung cancer. He was, he was a week away from his own death. And he was, we were talking and he started to weep. Uh, and I said, what's wrong? He said, my father never loved me. And this was someone who was about to leave this world. And his father had been dead for decades and decades and decades. And he was carrying this pain with him. 
And so what it taught me is that we need to do the work while we're alive so that we don't die with regrets. We don't die with so much unfinished business and so much unprocessed fear. Uh, so, so it made me much less idealistic, you could say, about, about, about the beauty of mortality and the beauty of impermanence. You see it on a very human level, uh, and it's grounding, it's bracing, it opens your heart. Uh, you realize that death is, is complex. This is not, it's not a simple process, and it's something to be taken seriously. I interviewed a Tibetan Rinpoche a few months ago, Mingyur Rinpoche, and, and we were talking about this, and he said the same thing. He said people think that death, you're just going to see a big light, and you're, you're just going to pop and, and, and leave the body. It's an arduous and difficult, complex journey that, as you said, is, is going on at, at all times and in subtle ways. But then when, it begin, when we begin actively to leave the body, it requires a lot of presence of mind and attention. And we need to do the practice now so that when our time comes, uh, we have a, some level of equanimity and wisdom. Uh, I, I did a book with Ramdas years ago about about dying and, and getting older. And one of the things he said that I've never forgotten is that in human life, wisdom is the only thing that doesn't die. It's the only thing that doesn't diminish wisdom. So feed your wisdom mind now, you know, look for deep answers now, because that's going to be your greatest asset when you, when you need it the most. That's really quite powerful. Sorry about that. I lost connection for just a second. Uh, you also ended up facing sex by going through celibacy, and that was in the third house. It was a fascinating experiment for me. I, I realized that I had always used sex in ways that were um, selfish in a way because I was trying to shore up my own insecurities. I wanted people not to leave me. Sex was part of that. And I decided that until I could love uh, and have sexual relations with someone with my heart open, I didn't want to do it. It felt like it was it would be spiritually uh, counterproductive for me. So when I first came back from India, I was celibate for close to a year. Uh, and it was a wonderful experience. You don't realize until you stop looking for sex, so to speak, that how much you miss in people. When, when you're so focused on the, on the sexual, when you're looking at people as erotic objects, and we, we do that. We do that as animals. I'm not being moralistic. It's something that we do. But when you stop doing that, it opens your heart in different ways. I remember somebody said to me after I stopped being celibate, he said, you know, you used to be hotter, but you're a nicer person now, and I, I thought that's a really that's, that's a two, that's a uh, that's a two you know two sided compliment. But I took it. I really I, I knew what knew what the person meant, and I was really glad to hear that. Um, I, I had a lot of um, sexual dysfunction in my family, so I had there was stuff that I really needed to move through, uh, and I needed time off, so to speak, uh, in order to do that. Both of those areas facing uh, the body and death, facing sexual celibacy, they they lead to what you stated earlier around presence. They bring a person to more presence when we really face ourselves. And in the end, when it came to looking at enlightenment, can you talk about the connection uh, that presence really had 
as opposed to necessarily even God or uh, belief in another being that ultimately how presence was the place that you came to. Yes. What I realized, and this was a big insight for me, was that the word God had been a big obstacle in my path. Uh, And that really this atheism that I thought I had, I grew up saying that I was atheistic or agnostic at at best, was really a matter of semantics because I had always had a sense of presence and mystery uh, in the world. I can remember as a child having moments of real deep existential awareness, Um, particularly in the presence of death. I found a a dead bird in the trash can and I can remember standing there and staring at it and wondering if that was the bird or if the bird had been the thing that 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 flew away uh, and so I really always had a sense of of what we would call spirituality but the but the g word was getting in my way so what I came to see in the process the journey of of sex death enlightenment was that I could throw all of that terminology out and just be with what is and I saw that the world, the presence of the world, the spiritual uh, quality of the world doesn't need language to qualify it. In fact, language just interferes. So I don't know, I don't really want to uh, stick a, a label on what this divine intelligence is. I think of it as the immensity. Uh, and to me, it, it just it's so much bigger than words that the more we can get past the the fundamentalism of dogma and gospels and the names you call it and the names I call it, the closer we're going to get to the unity experience that all of the mystic traditions point to. Mm. Enlightenment is the natural destiny of human beings, the reason we're here, the missing link between chaos and order. Without understanding this, people understand nothing. Life is a meaningless series of births and deaths and excruciating pain without redemption. You must be dead honest about this. Never pretend to be further along than you are. Spiritual hypocrisy is the worst hypocrisy, and your authentic doubt is your best friend, provided you understand that it is there to help you toward the light. This is from the book Sex, Death, and Sex, Death, Enlightenment. I hope you will definitely pick up your copy. It will be a beautiful read this summer for you to deepen into, be entertained, be enlivened, um, be heartbroken, and to tap into your own humanity as you receive some of the nuggets of awakening that are inside of it. Find out more about Mark Matusik at markmatusik.com. Also, go to theseekersforum.com and find out all of the things that he's doing. Thank you so much, Mark, for being on 1111 Talk Radio. I have thoroughly enjoyed your book. It's highly recommended. And I look forward to seeing more of what you're doing. Until next week, I am Simran in love of love with love and as love. Be well. Thank you for opening your mind to a new reality, your heart to greater compassion, and your experience of aliveness with 1111 Talk Radio. Join host Simran next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern Time to step through the gateway of conscious living here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Remember, you are not on the journey. You are the journey.